What's up, headbangers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Instagram at talklouder underscore podcast. And of course, our website, talklouderpodcast.com, where you'll find links to our merch and all of our previous episodes. I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. And I think it's safe to say we are joined by royalty today. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got Brian Tatler from Diamond Head on the show today. And uh, I got to give a quick shout to Paul Blackmore. Uh, Paul was responsible for connecting us with Brian. So thank you, Paul, if you're listening. We do appreciate that. Yeah, uh, tell, let's talk about that. How did Paul, did Paul just reach out and go, hey, do you want to have Brian fucking Tatler on your show? Yeah, pretty much. Well, thank you, Paul Blackmore. Yes, thank, thank you, you so Paul. very much. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, great conversation today. Brian Tatler, Diamond Head, The Legacy. Uh, you're all very familiar with it, I'm sure. But it was an honor for him to, uh, for us to have him on the show. I don't know that it was an honor for him, but it sure was an honor for us. <laughs> well, the 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 nerd uh, in both of us, as well as as well as others, uh, fans of Talk Louder, I feel like are in for a treat. Um, <clears throat> it was a it was it wasn't just like you know, dude, you're awesome the whole time. So I'm actually patting myself on the back because of that because. <laughs> at every turn i wanted to go dude that's aw dude you're awesome you know and i refrained from that there was enough uh sort of like legacy and legend and crafting uh and uh timeline yeah. uh, in, in mention of <clears throat> you know the the obvious things we talk about metallica quite a bit uh he mentions the opportunities that Metallica has created for Diamond Head, and you'll know what I you'll know what I mean when you listen to the episode here. But what an unbelievable time we had today with uh, with someone who, believe it or not, as Dave has already said, uh, <clears throat> basically had a play in shaping your record collection. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I think it's safe to say that. Uh, thrash metal might not even exist without bands like diamond head and the whole new wave of british heavy metal uh those bands speak often and freely about the influence of those the the bands from england around the late late 70s early 80s the new wave of british heavy metal metallica of course has covered diamond head we'll, we'll let brian tell the story but like i said my point being i think it's safe to say that if you like the big four and all of the bands that they inspired, it's safe to say that they might not exist without the influence of Diamond Head and others. So, well, I, 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 one more nugget. I, I just feel like it was something that I, I, I didn't know what it, it, to expect him to say at the question about, uh, you know, ironically, uh, he's, by the way, Brian is now, uh, taking over for Paul Quinn uh, on guitar in Saxon. Right. Uh, he's got some big shoes to fill. He'll, he'll, he'll tell you his feelings about it and how excited he actually is about that. Um, but when I mentioned Metallica's very first gig, which was they played two originals and the rest of it was pretty much Diamond Head covers. <laughs> I got to I stay tuned. I get to see his reaction. Uh, and I think that you are, you can have an idea of close as, as they were opening for Saxon. Don't yeah, yeah that that's part. the so, well, that's yeah. the rub. There is There's full circle there. Yeah, yeah, like uh, Metallica is opening for Saxon at their very first gig, and um, now Brian, who wrote Metallica's set list that night, is <laughs> playing for the He's headliner yeah. that night, which is just perfect. Yeah. Well, he couldn't have been a greater guy. I uh, really enjoyed the conversation with him. Very humble uh, and, and very forthcoming with, uh, you could tell he's grateful for his lot in life. And uh, and he was just, just, just a joy to talk to. So really happy to have had him on the Talk Louder podcast today. Brian Tatler from Diamond Head. Brian, joining us from your, your home in the UK. Thank you for taking the time to join a couple of Texans. Uh, halfway around the world. We appreciate it. Uh, Texans? <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, we're in the Austin, Texas area. So. Right, right. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, uh, we've got uh, plenty to talk about, uh, but let's let's start with the beginning. Take us all the way back. How did you initially get hooked on rock and roll? What okay. made you want to play? <laughs> um, right, hooked on rock and roll. Uh, I would imagine. Um, I, I mean, I had an older brother, so my brother Dave is six years older than me, and. Uh, he liked rock, so he would buy Led Zeppelin albums and Deep Purple and Black Sabbath, and he would go and see bands. So I remember him going to see Black Sabbath at uh, Birmingham Town Hall, 1971, possibly. Wow. And uh, he bought a guitar. I think he probably wanted to be like Tony Omi, you know, learn, learn to play the, the, the guitar and the, those riffs and all that. So I think having an older brother who happened to have good taste in rock music as well as he played guitar and he played in a local band uh, all rubbed off on me and i probably I, I can remember being fascinated by the equipment you know i'd go and watch them do a gig or watch them practice and the equipment was you know i'm probably 11 12 at this point and uh, i i just thought it was all very exciting and and uh, and then he would take me to see bands when i was uh, probably from about the age of 12 onwards occasionally he'd come in from work and he'd say i've got a spare ticket to see a band like we went to see uh can for example that german krautrock band he really liked them and we went to see gentle giant and um, black sabbath and who else 10 years after and so i'd just go with him i didn't really know the band the, the first band i ever saw with him was a band called amon door who again a kraut rock band and they played i think birmingham town hall and a very strange band you know i didn't know any of the songs but i liked i just liked the, i mean it's a big event isn't it when you first gig with the, the lights and the, the equipment and the uh the sound you know the volume is quite shocking to a, yeah. a, a kid but um uh yeah so that i think dave has got a lot to answer for in that he uh uh inspired me to uh to get into music and to learn to play the guitar really because I, I could just go to him and say how do you play an e chord or a, or smoke on the water or something and he'd show me and uh that's it yeah wow what was the first what was the first record you bought with your own money uh okay i bought two singles on the same day i bought t-rex 20th century boy yeah and the sweet hellraiser i think ah oh, both excellent so one of those two yeah Wow, off to a good start. So, yeah, great. sort of that's that's sort of early seventies, isn't it? That's maybe seventy three sort of period. So I'd, I'd be at you know twelve, thirteen. So that was that was my my time. But the, mind you, the first album I ever bought was Led Zeppelin two. So I think I did really well there. Yeah. With, with, my first album was Led Zeppelin two. My second album was Machine Head. Uh, so. What a great start. I got right into, the, you know, Richie Blackmore and uh, Jimmy Page. And, and, of course, wanted to be like those guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you've, done, you've done well. <laughs> I, think I, I think so, yeah. <laughs> good start. A good education. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, you, you know, Diamond Head, of course, is cited as uh, one of the forerunners of the new wave of British heavy metal. And we all know that that punk music had a large influence on mm -hmm. that style of music. Um, what punk bands were you listening to or were among your favorites at that yeah. early stage? Uh, so John Peel was very important to us. I don't know if you know of John Peel. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're nodding. I can't remember your, your names. Hang on. It's probably on the screen. Is it? So you're Dave. Yeah, and you're Jason. Jason. Okay, Correct. Sorry, yeah. that's okay. okay. <laughs> so yeah, we, we've uh, been called worse as well. <laughs> <laughs> I can see Dave nodding. So uh, um, yes, yeah, so John Peel was was important. Uh, John Peel had a week uh, every night 
uh, Monday to Friday, he would play two hours and he would play all the new stuff. He wasn't interested in playing uh, big bands, you know, that already had exposure. He would, he would be looking for the latest new band that was appearing and they might have made their first record uh, and he, if he liked it, he'd play it on his show. And a lot of bands got their first ever radio uh, exposure through John Peel. Mm. And so he picked up very quickly on punk rock and he would be playing The Damned, uh, The Jam, The Ramones, uh, Sex Pistols, you know, Boomtown Rats, whatever was, was fresh and new and coming out of, you know, mainly England, but I mean, obviously Ramones is, is US. And uh, I, so I would tape, I'd sit there with a cassette recorder and I'd tape, like millions of others, you know, something would come on, oh, that's good, I'd tape that. And I'd be, I had these little cassettes with, with punk rock on and all that. And I'd, uh, I, I found it exciting because it was, it was normally quite fast. Uh, and it felt like um, I could do that. I, I, I did feel that, the, the, you know, our bands became a bit heavy rock, progressive rock and all that. And, you know, I'd be listening to bands like, say, Yes or Pink Floyd or Genesis and admiring them. But I, I didn't know how to play like that, you know, or a, a song like, say, Achilles' Last Stand or The Song Remains the Same, you know, works of art. And for a struggling guitarist who's only just sort of mastered his, his bar chords and things like that, I have no idea how to play a, a song like The Song Remains the Same or, or a, you know, Cashmere or whatever. So, but I could copy the pistols and I could copy... Um, you know, the damned or whatever. And uh, and and then they started appearing on TV uh, on top of the pops and the old grey whistle test. And so again, I could think, right, he's only got two chords in it. It's got an A in it and a D in it and an E. And uh, that was inspiring because I, you know, I, I thought I can't spend the next, I'm never going to be able to play like Richie Blackmore. It's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> But I thought I could play like Steve Jones, so so let's go. I, I couldn't wait. <laughs> Let right. me ask him, you know. <laughs> right. I love I love Steve's playing, and and yeah. I feel like he's a better player than he leads on. Yeah, probably that yeah. first Pistols album is That's, is amazing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it's a great rock and roll record. Totally, it's energy. Yeah. 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 So you're forming uh, Diamond Head in the late 70s, um, and you, your peers at that time, you, you know, Iron Maiden, Def Leppard, Saxon, and we're going to get to Saxon later. Um, all, all the, you know, these bands are starting to, you know, up and coming along, along with Diamond Head. Um, uh, you had some early uh, gigs supporting Iron Maiden, ACDC, um, but I understand that, you had some difficulties with management um, and, and maybe that was part of the reason that you weren't along for the ride along with Def Leppard, Iron Maiden, et cetera. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, of course. So Diamond Head formed in 1976, as probably did a lot of the new wave of British heavy metal bands. Um, I, I, partly uh, punk was very encouraging because that sort of appeared late 76, early 77. And uh, it was a bit DIY and, you know, you could do it yourself, uh, make your own records, send demos in, you know. So I think a lot of the bands just thought, right, we can do this. You know, we'll make our own demos and things like that. So I would imagine Maiden were doing the same in London, Chef Def Leppard were doing the same in Sheffield, uh, all inspired by the big bands, the classic bands of the 70s, because we were almost spoiled for choice. You know, I realize now in hindsight, 70s are my favorite decade for music. And, yeah. you know, to list off the, the incredible rock bands that, that were around in the 70s, um, it was so inspiring, you know. And I, each, you know, every couple of months, somebody bring out a brilliant album. Like, say, I can definitely remember things like Sad Wings of Destiny blowing oh me away, yeah. you know, or Rainbow or, you know, UFO and uh, Thin Lizzy. So 
the, you know, it was so inspiring, all these awesome bands. And they all sounded different from, an, from one another. There wasn't just, they all sound this way or that way. They're, they're totally original bands. Uh, so, yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it just inspired bands like myself and, uh, you know, your Leopards and Maidens to, to probably form a band try and get a record deal, try and do what, what our peers had done and uh, and do the same thing. Now, as you know, Iron Maiden signed to EMI, which is probably the best rock label in the UK for breaking rock bands. Uh, and Def Leppard was signed to Phonogram, which was probably the second best label. So once EMI had their New Wobberham band, which is Iron Maiden, and Phonogram had Def Leppard, then they sort of didn't want other bands uh, after that. Uh, so we struggled to get a deal. We, uh, I think we've got a few offers from maybe RCA and Arista and some of the other labels. But we had sort of amateur management, you know, just local guys who was trying to help, trying to, trying to do the right thing. But they didn't have the experience, you know, uh, Leopard had amateur managers as well at first but they managed to get a leg up with peter mensch once you know they signed to leave the credits and uh, i made me lucky to have rod smallwood who, who turned out to be a brilliant manager but we had a guy uh, who owned a cardboard box factory in, in a place called Lye in the Midlands. And so even though he was enthusiastic and he had a little bit of money to put into the band, like we could buy a band and we could we bought a little PA and things like that, uh, he didn't have the contacts and he didn't have the experience. So he sort of learned on the job. And it probably, you know, ultimately uh, didn't impress the label. So when we did eventually get a record deal in 1982, um, the record label didn't like our management. They thought they were out of their depth, to use their word. Uh, and so, you know, it was a, it got to a point where it was either change management or we'll drop you. And we didn't change management. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay yeah, <laughs> well, yeah it's a life lesson sure sure <laughs> uh well you did manage to eventually get uh lightning to the nations out yeah and, and um my god <laughs> yeah <laughs> right and um my understanding is that you initially pressed only a thousand copies of it right. and, and it was only available in a plain white sleeve uh, because you were basically kind of shopping it around as a demo. Um, my question is, of those thousand copies in the plain white sleeve, have you ever heard of any of those copies selling for an absurd amount of money after uh, all these years? Absolutely. It is a bit of a new wave of British heavy metal collector's item. Sure. Um, because there were only a thousand uh, and because of Metallica covering four songs off that album. It's become a bit of a, a thing, you know, I've got the, the white label album, you know. Right, right. So, yeah, we did a thousand copies, white sleeve, white label, nothing on it at all. Didn't say Diamond Head, nothing on the cover. And it was, we sort of looked at it, at it at the time as a sort of demo album. We kind of figured um, that that we'd go to the label and, and play it to them and they'd think, oh, this is great, you know, and if they can get it together enough to make an album, you know, uh, then they must be good and all that. And and I, I don't know if, if we actually thought they would just release it or if they thought, well, we'll re-record it and we'll use a, a, a bigger studio and spend more time and, and money on it. Uh, we were probably a bit naive that, you know, we didn't quite know what was to do for the best. but at least we had a thousand copies that we could sell at gigs and mail order, as you said. So we did that, and that would probably help uh, keep the band going uh, with crew, with you know petrol, and get us up and down the country. Because by this point, we'd had a bit of exposure on the Friday Rock Show. We'd had a couple of singles. Uh, Jeff Barton had done a big piece 
upon us when we uh, opened for Iron Maiden at the Lyceum. Uh, we'd, we'd opened for ACDC as well, as you mentioned, at the Newcastle and Southampton. So those were monumentally big gigs for us. Sure. Um, we'd only done it maybe 30 gigs or something when we got those dates with ACDC. And uh, we worked out that the management, which was Peter Mensch, was looking at Diamond Ed uh, with a view to manage the band. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, we only worked that out afterwards. But he, he came into our dressing room and uh, we, we had a little chat, which was nice. And I thought, I thought that was perfectly natural. You know, oh, ACDC's managers come, come to say hello. <laughs> but of course, he was checking us out. You know, he was sounding mm. us out, seeing what we like, see if we had the right kind of stuff, you know, the, the ambition uh, to conquer the world. The X, uh, the X factor. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately, he didn't. He signed Def Leppard. But um, uh, it, it was uh, another lesson, you know, to learn. And uh, we were very flattered that, that he offered us those two dates and that we got to do them because we were huge ACDC fans. So oh, yeah. that's always been a, an amazing uh, experience that we, we support, supported ACDC. What uh, year was that? 1980. So it was wow. Bon Scott's last two ever gigs. Whoa, the, wow. Yeah, he died. Legendary. Uh, a few weeks later. Yeah. Wow. which was complete freak out to us because, of course, not only were we huge fans, but we just got to know him a little bit and we'd met him and got his autograph. Yeah. And wow. then, what a shocker. Yeah. Wow. wow. It was, wow. yeah, January or, yeah, January 1980. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. There's another uh, interesting factoid about Diamond. Ah, that's just crazy. <laughs> I have, I, I have a... I have a first off uh, the white label uh, mm -hmm. lightning record. I bet I can count on one hand, of course, some friends who own that. Yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. You're, in, you're in Texas. D Dave is not one of them. I'm not one of them. <laughs> he's one of my friends, but well, that, he's not that's one amazing of them. that he's he's managed to get hold of a copy because it is it is rare. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've got one copy, I think. That's all I've wow. got. Yeah. 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 I also wanted to ask, and this is kind of, I don't know, it might be coming out of nowhere, but I, it, it, I don't think there's any proper time to just ask you a question. So I'm just going to ask it. Did you ever meet back then, uh, pre-1980, did you ever meet a young kid from Denmark named Lars Ulrich? <laughs> Not pre, no. Now, we met Lars in, in uh, July 1981. Late, a little bit later. Yes, a bit, a bit later. And, and he bought his copy, didn't he? We'd, we'd made Lightning to the Nations. We yeah. did the mail order in Sounds. And Lars uh, would get his copy of Sounds over in LA right. and sent for a copy and got his and then wrote back to the address where he got it from and said, I, I, I like this album, et cetera, sure. et cetera. Wow, amazing. I, I just give Lars a lot of credit for, uh, and, and I know that there, there are others. He's probably the most popular uh, uh, fan who yes. was, championing, yes. <laughs> was championing bands like you guys and, and many, many more. Merciful Fate. Absolutely. Yeah, he, they've, there were, they've always worn their influences on their sleeve. Haven't they? Well, they haven't shied away. So smart. From, from where you know where it came from or what inspired them to to want to form a band and, yeah. and the fact that they covered us and other bands is brilliant because a lot of bands don't cover bands like acdc don't do covers do they or or black sabbath you know but metallica have done lots of covers over the years and it, it's oh, yeah. a brilliant payback for the you know the people that inspired them and it, it people like me it's helped enormously in many ways and uh, whereas they could have just sort of copied us a bit and thought well, that's a bit like, you know. Dead well, Red I think I think they did both. Amazing. Yeah. Yes, you're, yeah. you're right. They, 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 yes. And you're right. It's the, it's the biggest compliment, especially yes. after you have a built-in audience who's going to buy your records no matter what. That's right. Uh, because, you know, I don't own every, I'm a giant Metallica fan. 
which means I'm a fan of Diamond Head. But at the same time, <laughs> to move on, they covered you guys and everybody else after they had this, you know, big footprint. So, mm -hmm. of course, it helped all of those bands uh, automatically, uh, whether it be monetarily or, you know, someone was like, well, wow, who is this? I really like this arrangement. Who the hell yeah. is this? And they go to the off to the record store. And that, I mean, you win your fans one at a time anyway. I've always yeah. felt that way. If you hear something that you like, go buy the record. Don't just like look for something that resembles it. I, I guess this isn't, there's once again, uh, doesn't really seem random while we're talking about this, but um, I, I guess my question is, how do you feel? What's your perspective uh, now or even back then, maybe when you heard word of Lars's new band Metallica's first gig at the Whiskey opening for Saxon playing two original songs and like six Diamond Head songs. Yeah. Well, I only found out about that like the years later, of course. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, fa fascinating. Um, Very. That, you know, how they've gone. I've followed their career, of course, since yeah. 84. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've absolutely blown away by what, what they've achieved. I mean, everybody is really, that they started with such a, humble beginning you know such a uh a garage band basically yeah. sort of uncommercial garage absolutely, band absolutely. and go to the very very top to become the biggest heavy metal band of all time it's an unbelievable journey yeah you know one that even they probably you know can't believe has has happened um, it's it's it, it's mon it's monolithic it's what, it's what i wanted to do you know obviously yeah. they did what i wanted to do and me and a million others but yeah. they actually did it and and i've always got incredible respect because oh, yeah. i know how hard it is sure yes. yeah. Yeah. yeah i have to say i have to admit the first time i ever heard a diamond head song was courtesy of <laughs> creeping death the metallica creeping death picture disc of <laughs> yes. course am i evil is on the back side of this of course um when was the first time you heard metallica playing a diamond head song uh, that that was it that creeping death 12 inch single yeah and it had blitzkrieg on as well didn't it Correct. Mm -hmm. and yeah. uh, so that's it so lars sent us a copy i mean they were on music for nations in europe uh and he must have got uh, i think it was martin hooker to send a me and Sean a copy, uh, and we listened to it, and we, we were very flattered because, of course, they were the first band ever to cover a Diamond Head song. So that was exciting. Somebody bothered to cover one of our songs uh, and work out the solo and all that business. Uh, but they'd not only done it as a say cassette or a demo or done it live, they'd actually made a record, and it was on it was on their single, you know, the B side of their single. So. Yeah, that was that was the first time. Uh, I didn't see them until '86 when they were doing Master of Puppets, and they came and they played Birmingham Odeon, and uh, Lars called and said, "We're playing in Birmingham tonight." Because of course, Birmingham is the nearest city to me. It's about yeah. ten miles away, okay, so I just yeah. caught the boys up to Birmingham and uh, witnessed them perform, you know, Master of Puppets and Battery and that amazing album in 86 and it blew me away yeah. and uh he said come up and do am i evil with us you know <laughs> amazing i was oh, waiting okay. i was waiting for you to say that part yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> i hadn't took a guitar or anything but it, but they just said well you, we could you know use one of james's flying bees or something yeah and uh we did am i evil and then at some point it, it morphed into damage incorporated and uh so i run off the stage at that point i don't know how to play that one. <laughs> oh that's hilarious you were so, probably like oh well time for me to go yeah Bye. yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, wow that's that's so excellent i'm sure you were just and of course that was cliff burton so i got to see cliff yeah and uh, meet him backstage and uh of course they're all lovely guys i only knew Lars, but he, he would introduce me this is james this is kirk this is cliff and yeah. uh that was so that was nice and and that they were obviously very pleased to meet me because i'm an influence you know yes I, and of course metallica aren't yet 
what they are, you know, they're still on their way up. But uh, I remember thinking how well they went down. I thought, wow, this is the first time they've been to Birmingham and they went down a storm, you know, the place wasn't full, but there have got to be 1800 people in there. And uh, the crowd went crazy. I was like, there's definitely something going on here. You know, the yeah. vibe, the fans were so, you know, crazy, even then in 86. Yeah. So I well, couldn't work that out. How, how have they done this? How, how is this the first time they've ever played in Birmingham? When I'd had to do the clubs and the little, you know, horrible clubs <laughs> where you play to 20 people and build and build and build till till we reached Birmingham Odeon. Yeah. Uh, and yet Metallica just seemed to hit Birmingham Odeon that sold 1,800 tickets and the place went nuts. Well, I don't, I don't oh, have all of them. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I yeah. don't have all the answers, but I know, totally. I know how tenacious Lars is. And yeah. there's also you, you pile the cherry on top of the ice cream with Peter Minch. There you go again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had to bring it up because I, I, I feel like I feel like there's something about <laughs> that magical. Great, great magical management. Thing. Yes, that yes, definitely helps. I don't yes. think it's it's hundred percent because as you said, I mean, Lars is a big, big, big part yes. of this. Yes, but. Yeah, yeah, the music. Good management. Because you don't want to be wasting your time doing things that you don't need to do. You need good advice, good direction, you know, well, I, record I, company support, a good yes. agent. Yes. Well, I I've I've actually said this in, in certain circles and, and I, I I don't believe it to really hold hold much water, but it would probably hold some water in the fact that some people, and this is all arguable, yeah, <laughs> some people might have said, there. I feel better saying that, okay. and I love Lars's playing, but some people feel like, and there may be some truth to this, that Lars is very, uh, as, as I've said, tenacious and business-minded to where he was the first guy to get up in the morning and have tea or coffee and get going and on the phone mm -hmm. and working. And he paid more attention to the next move that the band was going to make before he would practice his fucking drums. Yeah. That's now, right. What's wrong with that? I don't think that there's anything Nothing. wrong with that. If you have no. your eye on what it is, I mean, I've got to get up in the morning because these guys don't know what they're going to eat for breakfast. Yes. Let's think about that just as much as we can think about uh, writing a, a song as cool as Shoot Out the Lights. Yeah, I think Lars was, was brilliant at managing Metallica. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I, I heard him say that Mensch and Bernstein help him manage Metallica. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been in his house and, you know, I'd wake up at nine o'clock in the morning or something 10 o'clock and he's already awake he's already on the phone he's talking to japan he's sorting out a tour he's sorting out this and that for like a good hour before he even puts the phone down and hello good morning you know type thing right so i'm thinking yeah. all right he, he's definitely mr switched on isn't he business minded yes, <laughs> yes i learned I, really like I, I feel like i learned that quick about him just by paying attention to the moves that the band made i i met the i met the those guys on their first tour when they were supporting raven mm -hmm. you know it's already a huge huge raven fan and of course i had i bought kill em all the day it came out because the record store had a promo copy and they saw me come and they knew i was going to love it oh my god i hadn't <laughs> even set my foot into the door and they said you're going to love this put the headphones on <laughs> set over here drop the needle just to, you know and as soon as hit the lights comes in i'm looking over at the record store owner owner and they're going like this <laughs> so it was all over after that no I bought countless, like, I guess you could just call them New Wave of British Heavy Metal compilation records, and uh -huh. you guys were always on it. You guys were always on it. There was always this slew, and Def Leppard and Iron Maiden as well. Mm. You know, early, Running Free, you know, yeah. uh, some Def Leppard song that they, didn't, they haven't played live in 40 years or whatever. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, 
but then there was all of this other stuff that didn't translate post the release of said compilation record. Mm. Uh, I would say hundreds, if not a thousand other new wave of British heavy metal, which became a term after I'm going to mess this up. I, I don't want to say the wrong name. These articles started coming out. Who's the guy that coined the phrase? Uh, Alan Lewis. Alan, okay. yes, I mean, Jeff Bart, it was Jeff Barton and Alan Lewis, but Barton okay. seemed to be the guy that would go out and do the interviews. But yes. Alan Lewis was the editor. And I think he came up with the name, the new wave of British heavy metal. Yeah, and you guys and Motorhead and and you know the rest mm -hmm. were mentioned, but of course you guys were translating and there was, you guys were leaving some sort of like scar in the earth, you know, that was creating uh, momentum and, yeah. and, and uh, virus, you know, <laughs> a positive rock and roll virus. And uh, hence the article, these compilation records that me and my friends were buying in, in 81, 82, 83, uh, at the record stores, wow, I've heard of these guys, you know, because we worshipped Kerrang! magazine. It was yes. more pop. Sounds yeah. wasn't as popular as Kerrang! for whatever reason in Texas, mm -hmm. you know. So um, so we're reading and hearing about all these bands. And, and I, I watched a documentary years later. I don't remember what the documentary was called. And I think it was like a, a burned copy on a DVD or something. And it was hours long. And they're talking to all of these journalists from the UK and, and beyond. And they, they called that movement like a trend, like a fad or yeah. an overnight kind of thing where... It, let's go back to you mentioning Iron Maiden and Def Leppard. And, and, and back then, I feel like it was the next move for a young band to make a, a, a 45, a single, a record, yeah. instead of cassettes maybe weren't popular at the time. They were, they were kind of a new thing or something. Um, and making no, we, we had cassettes okay. and all that, but yeah. it, it, it always just looked more professional if you could make a record. Sure. Uh, and you could also give a record to a DJ, like there was rock clubs around the country, like Rock City and things. And if you yeah. could give them a single, they could play it on their, you know, uh, you know, turntable. And, and it would be like, this band are coming up here next week. This is their single. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it was important to make, you know, Def Leppard did the EP, I made did the sound tapes, etc. And so it did seem, you know, we've got to, to sort of compete. You had to make a record. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I want to ask. Regarding oh. Kerrang, Kerrang didn't start till 82. Okay. Uh, whereas Sounds was a 70s thing. And it's, of course, Sounds picked up on and, and christened the new wave of British heavy metal. Uh, yeah. It just Kerrang appeared once it would, became so popular and they probably thought we could actually do a magazine just about heavy rock rather than sounds was reggae and sure. pop and post-punk yeah. and new romantics. And you'd yeah. be looking for your little bit of information about a new wave of British heavy metal band. But uh, amongst all the other styles. Yeah. Well, yeah. Kerrang! magazine was a staple. Those first, I'll say, yeah. 50 issues maybe are like golden to me. Right. I mean, learned about so many things. I have to admit, the first time I heard about a little new band from from Los Angeles, not San Francisco, called Metallica, was in yeah. fucking Kerrang! magazine. Right. Yeah. So I remember the advert where with Raven. It said Metallica and Raven with the two logos uh, about the same sort of size. Yeah. In the first ever edition of Kerrang! was a piece about Diamond Head, a little piece, Sonic Stormtroopers from Stourbridge or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> That's Very great. Good. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask one more Metallica question and then we'll get back to Diamond Head because I don't want to beat this to death. All uh, right. but, you're, but, you're, but you're so inextricably linked, it's, yeah, it's, right. it's, it's hard to ignore. Um, but... I also think besides Metallica covering Diamond Head, they did it four times. I know. Is it four cover tunes? Four, yeah. 
which is incredible. So not only did, is it, I would guess, an honor that they covered one song, they covered four and incredible. recorded them and made them available. Incredible. And so you know, so they my, must have I, just appreciated the, the writing or something because they wouldn't have done it otherwise. They must have just thought there's something. I, you know, I understood why they did Am I Evil? And then I thought oh, it was great that they did Helpless. But then they did The Prince and then, and then they did It's Electric. And people have said, well, well, they might as well do the other three off Lightning to the Nations. Just have a whole <laughs> album of, of Metallica covers. Um, yeah. It is incredible. I'm a very lucky. There's a lot of new wave of British heavy metal bands that didn't get covered, like Angel Witch, for example. Mm, or right. And I bet they all, you know, would love to have been covered by Metallica. Sure. And we, we were spoiled almost with four. So, so, so let me ask you, if I may. So, <laughs> what, what, what do the royalties bring to your bank account? Oh, from, here we go. Dave asking, what's in your wallet? Well, so, I can't put a figure on it. Okay, yeah, course, I don't. Go ahead. It's been very, very useful, and I've been earning money for over thirty years. So, that's know. beautiful, isn't that? Yeah. It's just it's. That's that's great mail. We call that mailbox money when it Amazing. just. Amazing. Well, I'm asleep in bed. At, it, it's somewhere making some cash for me. Yeah, that's, 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 that's a beautiful thing. I wanted to comment. You, you, you were saying, and this is not so much. Well, okay, it is about Metallica. Then I promise we're going to move on. <laughs> the deal is this, Brian. I feel like you being, if I may, the master, say the mastermind behind how the songs they chose they chose for a reason they're a fans band and people seem to forget that that they have all the money they're the biggest bucking band mm -hmm. the, whatever when you brass tacks you go back down to the bottom where it's your hands your intellectual property creating these these riffs that you put together in one song yeah that seems like it might go back to maybe your progressive rock band roots mm -hmm where there might be five or seven or more riffs mm -hmm. and time changes in yes. one song. And there's two or three songs that Metallica covered that have that sort of like song map. Yeah. And I, I feel like when those guys, Metallica, are writing, were maybe not, maybe not so much anymore. They, they're, they're kind of a hydra now, you know, stylistically, yeah, yeah. they're just, they're growing and uh, and that's great but the the point i'm making specifically here and even on on the record all of the records up to a point are related to the way that a diamond head song sort of plays out if you will yeah uh, do you agree epics. with that do you understand what i mean about yeah, how there's well, so many epics is the word that we used to describe the big songs like like am i able like help with like sucking my love yeah uh, we wanted to write epics, you know, we didn't particularly want to write hit singles. Uh, we did a couple of singles. We did Shoot Out the Lights, we did Sweet and Innocent, etc. Those are me. great songs, though. Those are Thank great. You. Thank yeah. you. But we really, what we really wanted to do, I suppose, was be like a Led Zeppelin and write these massive big songs, mm -hmm. or like War Pigs or something, which is six minutes long or something. We, we really got off on that. And we would keep coming up with riffs. It wasn't just me. Sean would come up with riffs. And uh, we would write these songs and we'd add to them, Am I Evil? We've probably spent a year on Am I Evil. And we'd keep adding bits to it. Wow. Think, it's almost like you come up with another riff. And you think, oh, we could put that in there after the solo or at the beginning. Or And we were very good at writing together, Sean and I. We we absolutely, you know, matched. and. Um, we could we could uh, put a lot of time and 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 uh, effort and uh, it, it became our thing. You know, we we just wanted to be to be great. We wanted to write great songs. I always felt we were competing with the, as I said earlier, the seventies, the the amazing bands from the seventies. So we wanted to be at least as good as as these classic bands. We didn't yeah. want to be also bands. We wanted to be one of the greatest bands of all time in our little naive world we aimed extremely high uh so 
at least in the end, you know, the songs are out there and uh, doing their thing. And, yeah. you know, we still play them to this day. You know, and they still sound great now. So yeah. we, we at least got that right, the songwriting. Right. Well, I feel like what in the um, um, it's not it's great to talk to you about this part of, you know, the the humble beginnings of these songs and, and you guys, I can see you guys at the rehearsal room throwing these ideas together in my head. And it's fantastical at the same time. I also, after listening to you speak, I, I'm realizing as I'm hearing you talk about it, I mean, Iron Maiden wrote the same way up to a point. You know, the, their songs were epic and these yeah, giant epic. battlefields yeah. and different views of the back of a horse or, you know, it's fucking spaceship or whatever. The It didn't matter. They could take you on these journeys through a song. Epic. Uh, and, and, and Iron Maiden's not the merciful fate did that all the, all of these bands had these seven, eight, nine minutes, black Sabbath, yeah. uh, the song, black Sabbath, as you mentioned, war pigs, you know, there's riffs and time changes and all right, now it's the swing part. All right, let's go back yeah. to the four on the floor. It's a, you know, and it's yeah. one yeah. fucking song and it's really brilliant. And thank God that all of you guys, especially Diamond Head, did this so that Metallica could spread the word on. We can, you can write any kind of fucking song you want and mm -hmm. still be the top dog. You don't have to write a hit single. That's right. Yeah, well, that's, you know, we, I mean, obviously Led Zeppelin didn't have hit singles anyway, did they? They sort of no. didn't need to. They, they made that their thing. And, right. uh, and we probably naively thought, well, we don't have to do that either. We can yeah. just write these great big songs and uh, become like Led Zeppelin. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't quite that simple, but but that's sort of probably what seeped into our, our minds. And we thought, that's what we want to do. Yeah. We didn't, you know, Top of the Pops is all well and good, but I didn't fancy just being on Top of the Pops. I wanted to be... You know, we, we went to see Led Zeppelin in 79 at Nebworth, 200,000 people. Oh, uh, and yeah. you think, I want to do that. I want to be. Yeah. Be <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and everybody else. Exactly. I want to do that too. There's <laughs> a lot of competition, but I'm still yeah. going to try. Sure. Absolutely. Man. So well, you, I, lo I love your attitude, man. It's really, <laughs> thank it's, you. It shows strength and you're really got your feet on the ground. You're a, you're a rock fan. You know, yeah, yeah. You've I had wouldn't do it if I didn't like it. <laughs> right, right. You've had uh, three different singers in Diamond Head now, I believe. That's right. Um, so, how how would you summarize each of those chapters in the Diamond Head history uh, with a different frontman in each of those three okay. eras? Okay. Um, obviously, Sean was the original. Uh, and it, it, it all stemmed out from that period. Um, so, so we worked, We did the three albums, uh, Light of the Nations, Boratomic Canterbury. Then we were dropped by the label and we struggled and then split in 85. But, yeah, and you know, I mean, that, you would, could say that was the golden period, the, the period with Sean, because that's when we were at our probably most creative and that's probably the, a lot of the legacies come from that period. Uh, the songs we play in the set now, you know, probably pro probably still dominated by that those first, you know, few albums. Um, and then the band reformed in 1990. We did another album with Sean called Death and Progress, but the, the band split again in 93. And then... Uh, we tried to get it back together in the early noughties, but it didn't really go as well as we'd have liked. And uh, and so we got in a singer called Nick Tart, who was great and helped us move forward. And we were able to do festivals all over Europe. We did a massive tour with Megadeth uh, of Europe that was fantastic. We went to the States for the first time. So Nick lasted about 10 years. And then he moved. He and his family moved to Brisbane, so that became tricky and expensive. So we had to replace Nick, and we, I, I said we need a, a guy who's in England. You know, ideally, it's just mm. too expensive. You you can't operate with a singer who lives in Australia if you're an English band and you haven't got millions of pounds. 
so we got in Rasmus, who turned out to be incredible, incredible talent, uh, and has given us a new lease of life. So we've done uh, two studio albums with Raz, and we did, we, uh, well, we re-recorded the debut album, Lightning to the Nations, wow. in 2020, with Raz as well. So Raz has sang on three studio albums. And um, we, again, we write well together, and he's a nice guy. Uh, so that's been that's been going great. Um, he joined in 2014. How did you find him? Uh, a, a friend of a friend. Somebody recommended him. Uh, they'd been to college with him, I think, because he studied musical performance. He did a degree course or something like that. And she said, "I know this great singer. He lives in London, but he's great." So we we got in touch, and yeah, he was great. He came up to the Midlands and uh, rehearsed with us. We started doing gigs with him and uh, it, I asked him to join because he was just mega. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You um, you mentioned a tour with Megadeth, which which makes absolute sense. But I was reading up on your history and I, re I think I recall an early tour with April Wine. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and to me, that sounds like a, a strange mix. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about that tour and the audience and how you were received opening for April Wine? OK, yeah, that, that does make less sense. We thought that as well at the time. They've got an album out called Nature of the Beast. Yeah, it's a good record. 81. Yep. Yes. Start that one with the cowbells. Ding, 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 ding. Bow, no, no. And they would open with that every night. Uh, but Diamond were quite a hot band at that moment. So I probably we probably got that gig because they, we had a good audience following and we were probably helping to, them to sell tickets. Uh, so we would go down really well on that tour. There was about 10 dates just around the UK. Uh, and it, it was good for us. We, we went down very well. We had a lot of young guys coming to see Diamond Head. Because we'd be getting all over the country finally, you know, London. Glasgow, Manchester, and um, so that was it. Was okay. It was a bit of a mismatch, uh, but you know that happens from time to time, doesn't it? Sure. There's that story about Jimi Hendrix opening for the Monkeys. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, I remember one of the first times I ever heard Iron Maiden. Uh, they were touring through Texas as the opening act for Thirty Eight Special, and I thought that's bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I feel like just to show yeah. my age here, I feel like it was normal, especially in the 70s, right. yeah. uh, for it to be a mixed match. I mean, Journey toured with ACDC in the States. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah. It would be... And Rush. Yeah, yeah. And they yeah. were the best of friends. I mean, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, and it was just a, a rock uh, celebration of music. It had no, it was... I, I, I think that's a good thing, really, rather than to be, you know, similar sort of style and... and yeah, right. why not? It's not a war between fans or styles no. or anything. It's a celebration of music, much like a festival. It just happens to be two or three bands. No, yeah. it's quite quite normal back then. Um, yeah. Tell us about uh, the Saxon gig. That's your that's your latest thing. Uh, I guess yeah. you're about to do some dates here in another month or so. Or Tell us how that came together. Yes, so yeah, the first gig is on July 7th. We're playing in Athens. And uh, there's two rehearsals before that in Germany. So I, I've been learning the set here at home for, you know, the past set, well, eight weeks possibly. So I'm I'm doing I'm doing well. I'm I'm you know every day doing a bit. And um that came about. I mean we're on the same label and we're on the same we've got the same manager, Adam Parsons from Siren. So I think um, we've got to know each other over the years. We've done festivals with them. We've done support dates with them. And then last year, um, we did a big tour. We did 33 dates across Europe and the UK. And um, yeah, I think everybody was getting on really well. And, uh, um, you know, they probably realized I'm a nice guy. I can play, etc. cetera. Yeah. So uh, I got the call in March from the man manager to say, Paul Quinn's stepping down. Um, would I be interested in taking over from Paul? And I said, yes. 
absolutely yeah, uh, and that's, and that's it. So, so i've been learning the set ever since and uh yeah it's i'm really looking forward to it it'll be, yeah man it's so exciting yeah yeah, I think I, I, uh, I, when I heard the news, I, I got really excited and it just made w so much sense, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Because, yeah. you know, Diamond Ed's great. It's always been my baby and, and we've been going a long, long time. But, but to have a fresh challenge now at my age and this time of my life, uh, a new set to learn, a new, you know, band to go out with, and, you know, they're of a higher level. A tour bus level, you know. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And I mean, Saxon will headline a festival like a like a Wacken or something. Yeah. Whereas Diamond Ed, we've done Wacken, but we'd be on on a smaller stage at say two o'clock in the afternoon, afternoon three o'clock yeah. in the afternoon, sort of thing. Yeah. So it's going to be a big jump for me, uh, and I'm but I'm excited for the challenge. I I think it's uh, it's great. I I thought it was you know. Um, uh, fabulous of them to offer it to me I'm, I'm really grateful is there any talk of this being permanent or where are we with that i think it's too early to say yeah. i think you know i've got to at least do one gig i think sure <laughs> and then maybe we'll talk again but uh, <laughs> i think i mean who knows but uh i i'd like to but uh, you know i think we've they probably got to do some gigs first. We, sure. we, we've had Nigel on on our show a couple of times, and right. the last time, yeah, the last time we talked to him, he we sort of like tried to get some more information out of him too, and he's basically <laughs> saying the same thing as you are. So. Yeah, 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 I think so. Yeah. So that's, that's probably how it is. Yeah, we don't want to keep you too much longer, but I do want to ask. I want to get the current status of Diamond Head. I know you're about to go out with Saxon. You'll be busy with that. But uh, what might we expect in terms of an album or tour or future plans for Diamond Head? Yeah, we've got some festivals. We're, we're playing um, um, Time to Rock Festival in Sweden. We're doing Leyenda Still Rock in Spain. And we're doing a gig with Ballbeat in Austria uh, mm -hmm. at the end of this month. Cool. And we've not played with Bolbit before, but it's a big outdoor festival. Like apparently nine and a half thousand people have sold out. So that's quite exciting for us. Uh we've we've had new material, you know, for the past few years. I did a lot of writing in lockdown, like everybody else. Uh, but we haven't managed to uh finish any of that yet. Uh and we also recorded a lot of the dates on the last tour. Um, so we hope to do a live album, but it's again finding time to mix it and get it together. And, uh, but that's the that's sort of the you know plans we have at the moment. We definitely want to do a live album. Definitely want to do more dates and things. It's just uh, you know people are busy. I've got lives and fitting sure. in around. Other, sure, sure. You know, I've got, this is an added complication in a way for Diamond Ed, but that I'm now uh, touring with Saxon, but. Right. Uh, we want to try and make it work. Sure, sure. Uh, last question from me, and then uh, if, if Jason doesn't have anything, we'll let you go. But I wanted to know, after all these decades and all you've accomplished, what is your proudest musical achievement? Hmm. Um, I think the songwriting, uh, the, the fact that the, the songs we wrote 40 years ago uh, still sound good today, and we're still, still people still like to hear them and ask, for those songs and uh, I'm happy to play them. Uh, that's my biggest achievement, I think, the songs. And, uh, I mean, you know, Metallica have been, you know, incredible that they've covered Diamond Head as well, uh, given us all kinds of uh, opportunities. And uh, uh, so, you know, without those songs, I'd, I, I, we wouldn't be having this conversation kind of thing. Um, that That's my, that's my legacy, really. And, and they'll probably be still listening to some of those songs after after I'm gone. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You've definitely created something that's going to stand the test of time. It already has. Um, yeah. so, well, yeah. when, the, when the big four <clears throat> decides to have, you know, members of Slayer and Megadeth <laughs> and Anthrax on stage with Metallica as this yeah. beast of a band with, like, I don't know how many people were on the stage, you know, four drummers and yeah. <laughs> eight guitar players. And, and they, and the song that they play comes from your 
yeah. brain yeah. and your heart. That's right. Written in my is... bedroom in 1979. <laughs> it's, it's fucking mind blowing. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's amazing. I, I that's... thought that at the time, I thought of all the songs they could have picked, there's lots and lots of heavy metal songs that spring to mind. Oh, they could have done that. Oh, yeah. done that. And now let's do Am I Evil? Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no complaints yeah. there. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's really been an honor. I mean, you are the architect of all the music that Jason and I love. Thank you. There's a few others, but I, I appreciate the compliment. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, obviously you're not alone, but uh, we, but without you, uh, the the landscape might look a lot different, and uh, and we really like the way it looks. So thank you for your contribution. <laughs> thank you. And uh, maybe we'll see you out on the road with Saxon. Uh, Saxon gets through North America quite often, so uh, yeah, yeah. We wish you all the luck with that and continued success with Diamond Head when you get back to Diamond Head. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. I'm looking forward to touring with Saxon. I, 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 you know, if we can do the U.S., that'd be great. Um, we, I haven't been to the U.S. for about, I think 2018 was the last time with Diamond. Yeah, that, your, your last tour, uh, yeah. one, of, one of my many projects, we, we uh, opened for you guys in San Antonio. Oh, right. Uh, it wasn't, um, it, it's no one's, it might have been on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday night, right. too. I don't remember there being a lot of folks there, but that's okay. I mean... That's right. We yeah. were excited to be there with you guys and you guys <laughs> and you guys gave it hell and, and it was amazing. So just to walk away from that and go, fuck, yeah, I was in the room with the guys in Diamond Head. You know, <laughs> it's just kind of a I mean, sir, it's a big heavy metal nerd part of my brain that comes yeah. out. But it all goes back to, you know, reading Kerrang and sounds and and all of that stuff, too. You know, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Thank you for being here with us today, Brian. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome. Uh, thank you for having absolutely. me. I've enjoyed it. On behalf of my co-host, Jason McMaster, I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with our special guest today, Brian Tatler from Diamond Head on the Talk Louder podcast. <laughs>